0: Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about authentic leadership. With me today is Robert Jordan. Robert is the co-founder and head of the leadership team at Interim Execs, an organization that helps companies connect with the best leaders around the globe quickly so they can avoid turning into an organization that lacks purpose, gets stuck in old ways of thinking, or can't break through a ceiling in their growth. Robert is also the author of the recently published book titled Right Leader, Right Time. Discover Your Leadership Style for a Winning Career. Welcome, Robert. It's great to have you here with me today. Thanks, Mike.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: To get us started, can you talk a little bit about how leadership style guides the leader's actions and how it can help or make or break a business?
1: Thanks, Mike. Uh, Leadership style is something we've become fascinated by, and I'll start maybe with a parallel. Hopefully, this will make it easier you and I, Mike, are getting to know each other. And if you said to me one day, you know, I got this pain in my foot. Boy, if I know a great podiatrist, I'm going to make a recommendation. But I guarantee you, Mike, I am not going to send you to a cardiologist. I'm not sending you to a brain surgeon. And what we see in, for example, healthcare and medicine is there are over 100 specialties and specialization over the past 100 years has been dramatically positive for society in terms of longevity and health and happiness and in the same way the opposite is still true in business business in most leadership senses of management is completely undifferentiated and we tend to have this attitude which is well if somebody did one thing well they probably could do everything well and it's just not true.
0: So in your experience, what are the most common mistakes that you see leaders making consistently, regardless of the type of organization or industry they work in, kind of playing off of what you're talking about already?
1: That question is the driving force for why we wrote the book, because in our work, we've been approached by over 7,000 executives. If that was a line outside your office door, Mike, that's four miles long. That's a lot of people in the process of developing ranking and scoring and screening, we came to realize that the vast majority of leaders were having careers and leadership experiences that were okay, but you wouldn't describe them as extraordinary. And the number one error that we saw was trying to be all things to all people. The flip side is when you just look at the top three, four, five percent of leaders, These are people having remarkable careers and creating remarkable results within organizations. And there, they are absolutely not trying to be all things to all people. In fact, we saw the opposite. We saw, generally speaking, one of four different leadership styles, which we labeled as fixer, artist, builder, or strategist.
0: If a leader wants to kind of get out of that mindset of being all things to all people and kind of narrow down which of those four styles they are, how can they determine that? And would you say that's their natural leadership style?
1: The word natural is, is interesting. One of the four, uh, the artist style, we use the word compelled, and that may be something that's a little more kind of as you grow up. But for example, the fixer style is something that most leaders tend to discover within their career. For the the fixer leader, that's somebody drawn to running into the the burning building time after time. So most leaders, I mean, all leaders are a mix of fixer and artist and builder and strategist. We don't want to pigeonhole someone that you're only one thing. But fixer, for example, is that leader who is drawn time after time to broken situations, broken client relationships. And that is what they excel at. So the first thing I would say is, for your listeners, it's good you're listening, because we're going to go through a description of these four and help folks determine for themselves if they may have a dominant style. And also, I would say this is something that becomes more discoverable the longer that you're on that career journey. The final point is, we are launching a free leadership assessment called FABS, F-A-B-S, Fixer Artist Builder Strategist, FABS Leadership Assessment at rightleader.com. And so someone could go there and in three minutes, maybe get some insight.
0: All right. So I'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes. Can you break down those four styles for us a little bit?
1: Sure. Fixer, as I said, the leader is the person who's drawn to continually running into the burning building, if you will. And they get this really kind of like an adrenaline rush from solving problems that for most other people would seem impossible. With that leader, though, once that solution is in place and things are back running smoothly, that that fixer needs to move on to the next broken situation or company. Artist. The artist leaders, this is the person who views the world as a blank canvas or a piece of clay. The standout example in the world everyone knows is Elon Musk. Elon Musk was deposed in a hearing about a year or two ago, and he said, that he really didn't want to be in a CEO role. He really just wanted to focus on engineering and innovation. But given the nature of wanting to be in control of his projects and his companies, he couldn't do it. But that artist is someone who is compelled to create and innovate, maybe even at peril or risk of money, power, and fame. Builder. Builder is, its of course, the label we all want in business and life. We get that. We mean something a little more specific, which is the kind of leadership style that takes a smaller nascent product, service, team, offering, division, and has this burning desire to get it to a point of scale of market domination. Market domination is mantra for the builder. What you see with veteran builders though, is that when they have achieved that kind of scale, sometimes it's an IPO, for example, or dominance of of a particular market, they tend to be the folks who will want to move on to the next product or service that wants to try to achieve that scale. Strategist. Strategist is the leader at scale. This is the person where they are within or leading a complex or vast organization. One of the leaders we interviewed for the book is Dr. Janine Davidson, and she had served as the Under Secretary of the Navy in the Department of Defense. And it it's just fascinating to hear a strategist describe what it is like, you know, when you have an organization and the hundreds of thousands of people, how do you have influence as a leader? And she would describe it as systems of systems, how you're trying to have influence there. It's radically different language between a strategist versus a fixer, or an artist, or a builder.
0: Would love to have been a fly on the wall in that conversation for sure. So once somebody knows which of the four styles they are, what should they do to start maximizing that knowledge?
1: The first thing we suggest is start with a conversation with your team, because high-performing teams tend to be more genuine with each other. You know, Mike, you and I are on a team. The more I can get to know you and the the particular strengths you have, we're all going to be firing on more cylinders if you're firing on more cylinders. And the more you know what strengths I have, the better for me. One of the psychologists we interviewed for the book, he said, you have to be spiky. And what he meant by that is if you looked at a graph and it showed all of these qualities and abilities and skills that you need within your team or an organization, no one, is good at everything. No one is optimal at everything; it's impossible. But if my contribution to the team is that I can be spiky in things that you're not spiky at, and the same for the third person, the fourth person on the team, well, then we can come together and be accretive with each other. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. When we first met, you had talked to me a little bit about uh, what you call the highest and best use mindset. Can you talk to our listeners about that a little bit?
1: I I love the phrase highest and best use. It is inspired to some extent, I can't remember if it was Carl Jung or Sigmund Freud, but they said you basically, you wanna boil life down, it's love and it's work. And that what we seek in life is just the richest relationships and love that we can experience and to have meaningful work. And so the idea of highest and best use, we'll put it this way, The best leaders in the world, exceptional leaders, tend to reject more of what is not for their highest and best use. And the flip side is unfortunately the majority who are trying to be too much, trying to be all things to all people. None of us are. It comes from a position that lacks confidence. But when you start going through this leadership journey, your career, and you see more success, the more that you see what you're specifically wired for and can excel at, your confidence increases. So one of the other traits we see in common among exceptional leaders is, they're collaborators on steroids. Now everybody says, oh, I'm a great collaborator. Well, the reality of it is, is that for the majority of leaders, they're not because there's insecurity. And so to be shown up as not perfect at everything, that's not acceptable and collaboration becomes a a challenge. If you know what you're good at and you can then accept that other people can be phenomenal and far better than you at what they're good at, oh my God, the chances for and opportunities for superior performance are far higher.
0: You're touching on something that we talk about a lot in our executive programs, which is that need to be really collaborative and to not have to feel like you have to be that hero leader and know everything. Continuing with that theme, How and when is it appropriate to truly lean on your teams for support? And why should you never feel guilty about asking for help?
1: It's a great question. And to round out, you know, we saw these three commonalities among FABs leaders, you know, great fixers, artists, builders, and strategists. Superior collaboration, collaboration on steroids was one. The other two, this ability to double down, to understand the thing at which you love and you're great and you keep getting better and that you keep doubling down within that. And the third we call no hiding. And if you look at those three as a set, as you start thinking about how you're going to advance yourself in career and in your teams, I think those three make it easier to simply do what you're great at and to not worry so much about whether it's asking for help or simply saying, somebody else in the team is going to do do this far better than I.
0: Is there anything else that you might recommend people do to honestly assess their strengths and weaknesses as a leader?
1: Well, the, the conversation we referred to earlier is getting at authenticity and, and genuineness, which is what we all appreciate in each other. There have been wonderful talks by people on vulnerability, which I think is completely right on the money. and There was some recent um, writing in the Wall Street Journal on the fact that most of us now, for example, get on an airplane and we absolutely are not going to talk to the person in the seat next to us. Now, that was not quite the same way 30 years ago or 20 years ago before the prevalence of cell phones. People were a little bit more outgoing. And there is this feeling we all have, which is, oh, don't, don't talk to them. And so I'm talking to you, they're probably a kook or whatever. But the research on this is that if you do reach out and you do make that small connection with somebody, the plane seat, somebody you run into or whatever, the results from that kind of chance interaction where you extend yourself is enlivening and it it is enriching for the person who takes the risk and for the recipient of it who feels acknowledged. None of us want to do it, but when we do it, it pretty much uniformly produces great results to just go out of your way. And so I'd say, and I'm guilty of the same thing. And so I try occasionally to just put the earbuds down for a second and just more smiling, more hello, how you doing?
0: Yeah, I don't travel nearly as much as I used to, but one of the things that helps me uh, even being introverted to reach out to people and, and maybe have a conversation with somebody when I'm on a plane or traveling is I'm pretty sure uh, this is a true story, but Jim Henson was on a plane and the person sitting next to him was I think the CFO or CEO of Fisher Price Toys. And uh, those two companies had never gotten together. And you would have figured some MBA or some consulting firm would have figured this out a long time ago to bring these two organizations together. But uh, sure enough, they sparked a conversation. And next thing you know, a great you know, partnership has uh, been born and all because they didn't have headphones on, I weren't worried about whatever was in front of them at the moment.
1: You're bringing up something which would be its own entire podcast on synchronicity because you know there, there's no real science behind it, but we all have these stories and you know for example, in, in my life, I was engaged with a client I was on a project. It was the worst thing that I'd ever had. It was terrible. And I was I was dealing with company owners who completely lacked integrity and I I couldn't stay and I needed that gig. I mean I have kids and wasn't doing great and I and I had to leave it and I got on an elevator. I got off at of the ground floor and by chance I ran into someone. I didn't know that well but just from that one chance meeting it eventually led to a partnership which led me into the biggest home run I'd ever had. And it was completely the chance of something terrible directly related to something that became miraculous. And I'm sure if you and I talked, you've got that example. And and if if we were doing this real time and your listeners were calling in, there would be hands going up saying, I've had it happen.
0: It's amazing how kind of fate intervenes sometimes. And it's all just from being open to to talking to other people and, and interacting with uh, you know other humans. So Robert, before we bring this episode to a close, what final advice or suggestions do you want to share with our audience today, or is there a call to action that uh, that you'd like to make for, for
1: our audience? Thanks, Mike. I'm going to deal from a prior book, not the current one. Before doing this book, we we did a book which was a series of interviews with champion company founders and the biggest revelation we had from that is that it's never plan A. And we were dealing with incredibly successful companies. And it was so surprising to me that none of them had been a straight line, that in every single case, pretty much plan A failed. And it was plan B or C or D. And so the thing I would say to somebody listening is take the next step and the next and take that leap because. Yeah, okay, this this current thing, maybe it isn't the home run, but you don't know where down the road the next step is, and that will be the one.
0: Robert, thank you so much for being on the show today and taking some time out of your schedule to talk with me and our audience. If people are interested in learning more from you, where can we point them to?
1: Well, thanks, Mike. I can be reached at InterimExecs.com, and for anyone that would like to take the FAB's leadership assessment, that is going live at RightLeader.com, and it's free.
0: Okay, great. I'll put some links into the show notes for that so everybody can access that easily. In closing, I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back with us regularly for additional episodes.